We're back to the long, awkward transition for me to get on stage. Um, if you've been around the last few months, this may be familiar. Um, if you're new, I'll explain a little bit. But on May 6th, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. And for the past five months, been trying to heal past that. And then on Friday, I believe I re-ruptured it. And so I was at the beach and enjoying having two legs that worked and they didn't work again. And so very similar to what happened last time, um, I felt like I got hit and went down and sat on the sand thinking, uh-oh, I think it happened again. And so uh, appreciate the prayers if you, if you think about it. Uh, on Tuesday, I think I'm going to have an appointment with my uh, orthopedic doctor and from there trying to determine what the best way to move forward, whether it's surgery or, or what. Um, but in the scriptures, again and again, there's a theme of trouble and what God does uh, with trouble in life. And for me, this is one of those periods of trouble where I just have to choose to allow God to work in the midst of the things that I don't want. And if you're like me, you get faced with things that you don't really want to experience again. And this is just one of those experiences that it's on my plate again. And so I have to choose to trust God and uh, really have an upbeat endurance. And there's a lot of unknown I don't know and a lot of nuisance of being on one leg. But in the midst of it, compared to a lot of other people and problems, uh, this is minor. And so I'm choosing to praise God. If you can praise God with me, um, I'm still here and alive and well. Uh, It's just going to take me a little bit slower to get places. And so... Uh, God is good, and I'll keep you guys posted as I, um, as I have more information. Uh, right now, I, I like to move a lot when I speak, and so I'm back to the swivel. And so this is me like walking to this side, and this is me walking to that side. And so even though I'm mobile, or immobile, I should say, um, I'm going to try to communicate as well as I can sitting, sitting down. Um, like John mentioned, there's one thing I want to just talk about before... Um, I dig into the message this week, and uh, we have an opportunity to serve the city uh, with that Alhambra pumpkin run, and we did so last year, and it was a great way for us as a church to show the city that that we actually want to help them with their goals and their interests, and we want to interact with people, and we really want to reach the community here in the San Gabriel Valley. That's part of our mission, and a lot of times uh, you do that by serving and by helping. And when there's needs, uh, you, you meet those needs. And so we have an opportunity on Saturday uh, to do that. And so if you're free, I know some of the people in the church are running it, which is great. But if you're free, I just encourage you to help. Also, there, I have a special request. I need like a special team of early risers that are willing on a Saturday morning to help cut up oranges into quarters to pass out to the runners. After the race, uh, the city wants to be able to give refreshments to the runners, and we've been asked to cut up oranges that were going to be delivered to us by Albertsons and get them prepped starting at about 6 a.m. on Saturday. So if you're like me, 6 a.m. isn't a category you think about a lot on a Saturday morning. But since the race is early, it's an opportunity to help. And so if you'd like to help, and especially if you'd like to be on the orange team, you just write orange on your connection card. There on the lines, if you write orange, I'll know that you're especially interested in being there early. If you don't write orange, you still may get an email asking you to arrive early. So it's not necessarily you won't get asked, but if you write orange for sure, we'll put you on that early rise team. 
Uh, so I just wanted to, to mention that. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Beginning Again, and we've been looking at how uh, we can experience change in life and how do we bring about change in different areas. And we started the series really on this, this idea of change and can it be something that is real and can be experienced. And if you're like me, you can get in this grind of life where it feels like I can't really get beyond where I am. And things have always been and things will always be. And there's a sense in life in which we settle things. We just think this is the way life is. And that can lead to frustration. That can lead to apathy. That can lead to just nothing will ever change. Uh, But when you dig into the core of Christianity, you find that change actually comes when you choose to follow Christ. That is really the purpose of choosing to follow Christ is the person you are and the person that you were you actually don't always have to be. And there's real hope there, especially if there's things in your life that you'd like to change. And so we talked about in the beginning of the series how a relationship with God connects us to God and the power to change. And I want to read a passage because everything else kind of clings to this idea. You'll see it there on the screen. It says this, For it is by by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we've been saved because God gave us the gift of grace. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so we've been talking about this series and how sometimes we want to force things to happen in our life. We want to bring the change. We have the, the system, the scenario, the formula to bring the change. We want other people to change, and so we force that change on them as well. And what you find is it actually doesn't happen. You can conform and you can see maybe slight differences, but over the course of a life, what the scriptures is saying is the only way to actually be transformed is you have to connect with the living God of the universe. That's the only way. Because it's by grace. It's not by our own works. So that we can't boast. There's a sense in which we all have to get to the point where we realize we need help beyond ourselves. And so that's what this series is about. How to experience change and get help beyond ourselves because we, we so need it. Uh, Last week, we talked about the importance of beginning again from our past. Things that we've done and experienced that that we regret. How do we begin again? How do we move forward? This week, we're talking about how do we begin again in our relationships? And relationships get messed up. Uh, They get stagnant. Uh, They get to the point where there's no joy there as you relate to certain people. Whether that's friends, whether that's family, whether that's coworkers, And we all get to a point where we need to begin again in our relationships. Our relationships need to change. And I think we all could agree that there's just certain relationships that may have always been like they are, but if you could, you'd like to see change happen. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. But to talk about restoring relationships and to talk about beginning again, you have to talk about trust. Trust is what binds relationships together. In fact, trust is the key factor in, in all our relationships. You can't have a relationship without trust. And we all agree with that. Business arrangements are based on trust or sometimes a lack thereof. If you commit to something, to a business, whether you rent a car or you're leasing an apartment, you usually have to sign a contract, right? And that contract is saying, what we've agreed to, I will make sure I live by or I will choose by and I'll have the car back by this time and I'll make sure I clean this by the time I'm out of the apartment or whatever it is. And there's this idea of there's got to be this agreement This trust 
on paper that says what I'll do and maybe what the other person I'm entering this business relationship will do. Uh, We also see that trust in business, in family life. And in business, a lot of times we we take that for granted. But there's a guy who wrote a book that I thought was very interesting. And he, he had this quote. And he says, mistrust doubles the cost of doing business. He looked at all like the litigation that happens in the business world and all the the contracts that are broken and all the costs associated with people fighting over who dropped the ball in a certain agreement. And what he realized was this idea that because mistrust has happened, there's going to have to be so much more work and payment done to try to get to the solution of the problem. So it actually doubles the cost. And so you see that that's a real factor. In fact, he gave some stats. He says only 55 or 51 percent of employees have trust and confidence in senior management. It's only half the people in most businesses trust the senior managers. Only 35% of employees believe their leaders act with honesty and integrity. So there's a lot of skepticism, even on the business and the work world. And if you view your boss this way, if you view your coworkers this way, if you view your customers this way, everyone's just looking out for their own interests because you can't trust anyone. But that trickles down into into family life uh, that trickles down into to team. I don't know if you've ever been on a sports team, but there's always this talk of like, there's no I in team, right? And then the, like, the smart person's like, but there is an I in win. And you're always just left with, uh-oh, so what do we do? But in teamwork, you have to have trust. Uh, Doc Rivers, the LA Clippers, I don't know if you've heard of them. They, they're a team in Los Angeles. Um, but it says this, I thought our trust was broken today offensively. I thought we all tried to do it individually where there's no ball movement. The ball is in one spot. Doc Rivers said that. He's saying, he's, he's alluding to this problem they experienced on the teams. In fact, they didn't accomplish what they wanted to. They lost. And what did he attribute to? A lack of trust. Interesting. So trust is in there. Trust is in family life, too. If you say one thing to your kids and you don't do it, there's, there's a wall there that that is created. If you say something to your spouse and you don't do it, or in close friendships, if you say something to somebody that you're going to show up and be there for them for a certain thing and help them out with a certain need that they have and you don't show up, trust is broken. All these things happen and we can all pinpoint times in our life that trust has been broken. We all can. Most of the time, we pinpoint when it has been done to us. I know for me, when I think of broken trust, usually it's not What have I done to break trust? It's usually what have people done to break trust to me, right? It's easier to do that because we feel it. Oftentimes when we break trust with others because of something we've done, we don't even know the impact. And so what we're going to talk about today is whether you have broken trust or whether someone has broken trust with you. What do you do to begin to kind of dig out of that that hole that that you find yourself in? So trust, I, I want to define it just in the dictionary. Merriam-Webster says this, trust, belief that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, effective, etc. Okay, so reliable, something can be counted on. It's good. It's not bad. Uh, It's honest. So something trustworthy is usually honest, like what they say is what's going to happen. Effective. Okay, so it's something that can be trusted, like this is going to work. This is going to help. It's effective. What's so interesting about this definition is those three letters at the end. This is the dictionary. 
to define things. And it says, etc. And I got thinking about that. And I thought, out of one of the most important words that we find, because it impacts all of our relationships, the definition of it itself is somewhat ambiguous. You know what I'm saying? Etc. Doesn't that mean we all know exactly what that should be? Etc. And I'm thinking to myself, out of all the, the words, that's the one word where I actually don't really want etc. to be on there. I want clarity. I actually want things to be very clear. Because, yeah, I get a sense of reliable, good, honest, effective, but I don't exactly know what the etc. entails. So this is just one of those where it's a common word, and even the dictionary itself has this common sentiment. You know, like, reliable, good, effective, honest, like, and other stuff. Really? Other stuff? The thing that we can get burned by so much because it doesn't exist, and it's just the cloud of other stuff. And so what I'd like to do is actually dig into how to focus on the things that actually rebuilds trust. And define it. And it, it is all of those things. But in the etc. and in the cloud of things, uh, there's some clarity that, that we need to, to pull out of there. So I want to give a kind of an analogy before I dig into what the scriptures say. Okay, and I'm going to try to actually could kind of volunteer this morning. Thanks, John. Could you grab that right there? I was going to grab it, but if I fell off my chair. That'd be the only thing you remember today at Church in the Valley. It would be like the most memorable service ever. Um, this is a piggy bank. Okay, this is one of my kids, Levi, and um, this represents, you know, money. As he gets little pocket money, we put it in there, and then when it's time for him to get it out, he, you know, opens it. I've never understood the piggy bank where you shatter it. Like I only want to buy one. Okay. Anyways, that's a sidebar, but. Uh, so you pull this little stopper out, you get the money. Well, trust is a lot like this piggy bank. And when we act with the intentions of helping other people, and when we're looking out for them, and when we're reliable, when we're honest, when we're doing those things that I just defined, uh, we deposit trust in the relationship. So you, you put the money in. You know, maybe it's a quarter, maybe it's a dollar, maybe it's $50, maybe it's 100 depending on what you've done. And you deposit this money in there. And so... I think I might have something. Oh, you know what? This is classic. If I can get it out here. This is a uh, Avadko Bebsig currency. It's plastic and it's a toy. And I, I don't know where it's from, but I'm pretty sure you can't spend it. Okay. But case in point. If, if I'm at, acting in your interest, then I'm, I'm depositing it in there. I'm dropping it in the piggy bank, and now there's trust in our relationship because of what I've done. The opposite is true. When I look out for my own interests, and instead of being honest, I'm maybe dishonest, or instead of being reliable, I'm unreliable, what happens to the money? It, it gets withdrawn, right? It, it gets pulled out. And so what I'm going to talk about today is how do you continue to think in terms of depositing trust into relationships that you have instead of always just trying to pull money out? Because what tends to happen is if this is all that we have in our trust relationship with people, one coin, and we do something 
There's nothing left. There's nothing left. And our relationships become bankrupt. There's no trust. They become bankrupt and you overwithdraw and the relationship just, there's no life there. And so today we're going to look at how do you continue to deposit trust instead of always trying to withdraw it out. Okay? So I'm going to put this up on the keyboard here. Deposit that money back in. And that will just be a little object lesson and pray it doesn't fall off and shatter. I want to dig into the scriptures because in the scriptures there's two key characteristics that build trust. And I want to talk about that. But before I do, there's a few things just to move through quickly that describe how trust is broken. And I think this is common for all of us. Uh, we, we've had experiences where we've done it and it's been done to us. But anytime you're inconsiderate, you're, you're pulling trust out of the relationship. If you put your interests above others, you pull trust out. If you're kind of doing what's best for you, you pull trust out. Just being inconsiderate. Second is not keeping your word. If you say you're going to do something, you don't do it. Are you putting trust in? Are you taking it? You're taking it out. You withdraw it. The third thing, uh, making bad decisions. There's people that you're connected to and you continually do things that impact them. You're, you're pulling trust out. So all those things, they, they tend to erode trust in a relationship. They make relating more difficult because, again, you're just pulling the trust out. And over time, if inconsiderate, making bad decisions, not keeping your word, if that's the state of the way that you relate to people, there's no trust in the bank. There's no trust as you relate. And so we need some kind of things that pull us in the right direction where we can actually make the deposits. And that's, that's what I want to talk about. As we talk about trust, there's some of us that have been deeply wounded by things that have happened to us. Maybe back to past experiences or something that we've experienced some real trauma. This message today can offer perspective, but this is more for kind of the daily interactions with people as trust is diminished, not necessarily the traumatic things that we can find ourselves in. Now, there, there's still hope for you and there's still the scripture is still relevant. But a lot of times those things need to be worked through over a period of time. And so today's message is really focused on how do you build trust in a lot of times just the daily interactions that you have with others. So I, I want to dig in uh, the first point that you'll see on your handout. and you, you can follow along is how do you rebuild trust? And it begins with two key characteristics, and that is love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness rebuild trust. That's the opposite of inconsideration, bad decisions, and of not keeping your word. Love and faithfulness. Uh, Proverbs 16, 6 through 7 says this. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. When a man's way are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Love and faithfulness in the scriptures are usually paired together. They're like childhood best friends. Wherever you see one, most of the time you see the other. So when you see love, you see faithfulness. And we're going to talk about why that is. But you get the sense from this scripture, there's this important phrase. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. That word atone is, is it's wiped away, it's purged, it's canceled. And how does that happen? Through those two things. Love and faithfulness. 
So many times when trust has eroded and when trust has been broken, we need something in the relationship to wipe it clean. And that, that's why it goes back to beginning a relationship with Jesus, because we can't fully wipe away the slate and the broken trust of things that we've done and have been to us and been done to us outside of a relationship with Jesus. But as you commit your life to follow Christ and you discover this new life that you have in him, we still mess up. And there's still things that are broken. And nothing is ever going to be perfect until Jesus comes back and we're back with him in heaven. And so this scripture is saying when things are messed up, you have to cling to two things, and it's love and faithfulness. Love here uh, refers to not a a feeling of love or like a memory or, or some kind of nostalgic emotion. That's kind of what love is nowadays as you read cards, as you listen to music, as you interact. Love is like a feeling. You fall into it, you fall out of it. When the scriptures, this love is a sacrificial choice where you put others in front of you. It's the idea of it's an action. You know it's love because of something someone has done. Not something that they've said. With my kids, they're, they're young, especially my, I have a, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And their like picture of love is when you say it, like when I say I love you, Dad, you don't love me unless you say it back. Like that's their, their understanding of love. Unless it's spoken, it's not real. And so they'll see like, I love you, Dad. Thanks, buddy. I love you, Dad. And what I'm realizing is that unless you say you love me, you don't. And that's true. Like in their world, they're questioning like, if you don't say it back, You don't love me. And as they grow older, their idea of love has to grow beyond that. Now, it is nice in a relationship. I don't know if, you know, you ever stuck your neck out there and said you love to somebody and you're just hoping they say it. So it is nice to reciprocate that. But that's not what love is, just the spoken word. It's action. Love is actually something that you show people by what you do. And that's what this is talking about. It's this action. Uh, Faithfulness here. It means that you're actually going to do what you said you will do. And that really is the sense of, that's what trust is all about. When you say it, you're going to do it. You're also going to stand for what is, is true. Have you ever said you're going to do something, and then it turns out that that was like so inconvenient for you? You ever been in a situation like that? And you just wish, and you think of, how can I get out? Of this thing that I said that I would do. When you're faithful, you will do it even to your own hurt. Even if it costs you because you said you would. I don't know about you, but when I've had friends that have shown up when I needed them to show up and they've done what I needed them to do in a moment that I've been in, there's this bond that I have because I know that I can count on them. And that's what the scriptures are saying is through this, through these two things, the sacrificial love and this commitment to doing what you say you will do. It's, it's like the ice of relationships that happens as trust is diminished. It warms back up. It melts the ice away. It softens the heart as you relate to others. 
This is true in marriages. This is true in parenting, with roommates, with co-workers, with friends, with family. It's true in every relationship. When there's a lack of love and faithfulness, the relationship freezes. But love and faithfulness, it melts it. It melts it away. So these two things are crucial. But it begins with this idea of love. And that really is, when a relationship is hard, and there's this funky tension that exists, and we don't understand each other, and we're not seeing eye to eye, there's this tendency where we want to bail. We just want to get out of there. I just bail, it's, I don't have to worry about it anymore. But what you find is love and faithfulness is going to stick in there. And it causes us to choose to work out the situation. And that's how you can begin again in relationships. You don't bail on people. You hang in there, you stay committed. And so I just want to walk through a few ways. In the middle of sticking in there to wanting to see this thing worked out, how do you restore trust? Now, before I do that, There may be some relationships that you shouldn't be in. Despite the love and faithfulness, despite the trust that you may try to rebuild, there may be some relationships that there is no trust and it is detrimental for you to be in that relationship. If you're not sure, talk to somebody that's wiser than you that can help you out. Because oftentimes, sometimes we're just in a relationship that we really want, but it's not a good relationship. And there's some relationships that no matter how much you do and how much you choose love and faithfulness, it is unhealthy. So I'm not talking specifically about those. But there's still, even despite that, there's still things that we can do to restore trust on our end. Now, back to the beginning where you think about the lack of trust that you may have had. Oftentimes it goes to what people have done. How they've hurt us, wronged us. So I want to flip the switch. The times that we've done that, the times that we've maybe crossed the line and we broke love, we broke faithfulness, we didn't do what we said we were going to do, we weren't reliable, we weren't trustworthy, what do we do? And so I want to walk through that a little bit. The scriptures kind of lay that out and it's it's helpful. Key ways to restoring trust. The first is take responsibility for your actions. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong? as you related to somebody, and you regretted it. But in the middle of regret and knowing it was wrong, you're spinning the scenario to make it not as bad as it is. You ever done that? Or the justification? The only reason I did that is because they did that. The reason I said that is because they said that. The only reason I didn't do that is because they didn't do that. This is a real pull to all of us. Defensive. Justification. I did this because they did that. That's how relationships function. We kind of just look out for our own. We want to defend ourselves. We want to defend our strategies. We want to look for our own needs and interests. That's really the epitome of selfishness, the opposite of love. So to begin to restore trust, you actually have to take responsibility for your own actions. And picture a circle. Okay? This circle is a relationship that the trust has been broken. Each of us have to determine the slice of the circle that's our responsibility. Usually when we eat and say this is a pizza, do we want a big slice or a small slice? 
We want the big slice, right? We want, like, if I can half it, is half a slice. You know, we're just trying to figure out how do we get the biggest slice. You start talking about responsibility for wrong, all of a sudden, we don't want big slices. We want itty-bitty slivers. Okay, that was me. This was them, right? And that may be true. They may have screwed up 95% of the problem. Who did the five? Me. You still have to take responsibility for your part. And if you're not sure what that is, the good news is, You can relate to God in a way where he will actually show you. As you get to know him and you spend time with the word, that's why that's so important. Reading the scriptures. It shines a light on the 5%. It shines a light on the 95%. Whatever size slice of things are our problem. God's word has a way of showing us that. That's why we need his help, his illumination. It shows us. So it begins with taking responsibility. Second, ask forgiveness of the other person. You know, forgiveness is one of those things that's actually really difficult to choose. It is. Why is that? Because it goes back to the beginning. Forgiveness means there's actually responsibility that you need to accept. However big the slice. But you have to ask forgiveness for that part. And forgiveness is just the ad the admission and telling people, here is what I did. This was what was wrong. This was how I broke trust with you. This is how I was unreliable. This is how I didn't keep my word. This is how I was untrustworthy. Everyone has to decide what part is theirs, and then they have to ask forgiveness. I'm just going to say a couple things. Now, this, this is Alex speaking. This is not the scriptures. Okay? But when you say sorry about something, whose fault is it if you're sorry? I don't know. Because sometimes sorry is turned into, sorry you were offended. Sorry you were hurt. Sorry you didn't understand what I was trying to say. Sometimes sorry is like, whose fault is it? But when you say forgive, you're pointing to a sin. You're pointing to the wrong. So I encourage you, ask for forgiveness. Take responsibility. And the love and faithfulness begins to warm up the relationship. And then the third, set out to show love and faithfulness. Now, if you were here last week, This is actually similar, the first two. Take responsibility, ask forgiveness. Here's why. You can't begin again in any relationship or in any situation without accepting responsibility and asking forgiveness. You can't. You can't move beyond the past. You can't move beyond broken relationships. You can't move beyond your finances that are messed up. You can't move beyond bad decisions that you've made. Because the truth is, The things that we've done and the things that we've said have brought us to this point that we are. So when we accept responsibility and we ask forgiveness, we're choosing humility. We're saying, I messed up. And the problem may not be entirely mine, 
but I have a part in it. That's the only way to truly begin again. You have to get past somewhat of the victim mentality that we feel. How could they? Why would they? I'm so hurt. I'm so crushed to the point where like, what, what do I need to take responsibility for? And we have to be true and open with God about that. But back to set out to show love and faithfulness. What does this look like? Well, the scriptures in Proverbs 3 says this. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Okay? Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. See, love and faithfulness, best friends, are again back together. What's interesting, the writer of Proverbs here is giving us this really interesting picture. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Now, I have this weird picture. Every time I read this scripture, I think like binding around your neck, like this necklace. And then I think of the rapper with the big clock. What's that guy's name? Who? Flavor Flay. Flavor Flay, you know, and he has this big clock. And that's his like characteristic, like he binds that around his neck. You always know Flavor Flav is there. Why? Because he's the dude with the grandfather clock attached to his necklace. That's his trademark. For some reason, every time I read that, I think of Flavor This is just welcome to my world. Sometimes reading scripts like Flavor Flav's in there. Somehow. He's not really. But bind them around your neck. There's a sense in which you have it here. It's, it's seen. But there's also another meaning to that bind around your neck. It's like a jewelry, right? A necklace. Will you lose the necklace if it's on your neck? It depends what age you are. You ever been wearing your glasses on your head? Like, where are my glasses? They're on your head. But what the writer is saying, when you have it around your neck, it's, it's not going to get lost. It's attached to you. It's part of your identity. People could see it. And then to make it even clearer, he's saying, okay, so once you've got it on, so it won't get lost. And so it's displayed. So this is who you are. Then he says, you want to write it on the tablet of your heart. It's saying it's, it needs to internalize. It needs to be a characteristic of who you are. You sacrifice for others. You love others. And you don't get to the point where you ask, I need to start doing things for me. You begin to ask, God, give me the strength to continue to love people how you want to love people. God, give me the strength to be faithful as you are faithful. And that's the good news. God is our model of love and faithfulness. Again and again, if you read the Psalms, which are praises towards God, they are always attributing to the love and faithfulness of God. This is who He is. So we begin to follow Him, and we begin to look at the things in our relationships that are just stale and frozen and rigid only way to begin to warm and to melt away the ice is love and faithfulness. It has to be a part of who you are. It has to be written on your heart. This is important. This is something that you want to see happen in your relationships. And you don't wait for them to do it. You begin to do that yourself. That's what the writer is saying. I just want to share an example. A few years ago, 
I was in Texas at the stockyards in Fort Worth, which is like, you know, if you're from California, you're like stockyards. Yeah, it's kind of how it sounds. There's like cows and stuff and people on horses and rodeo type stuff. Really fun experience. We were there as a family on vacation and my daughter was just having a rough time and we just weren't seeing eye, eye to eye on things. And I was like, man, she's, she needs to change her attitude. We're on vacation. You know, we're all ha- we put on happy faces. We love each other here. We're at the stockyards. Okay, and so I was relating to her, and she's got to the point where I was like, I need to talk to her, and I, I, need to, I need to correct her on some things. So I pulled her aside, and I tried to do it in, in private. And as I was correcting her, she just, she just tensed up, like just was resisting me, and there was just this real awkward tension between us, like where she, she wanted nothing to do with me. She just walked off. I was like, hey, hey, honey, honey. And she just, I was like, is this what my life, is this 13 coming quickly? I was kind of freaked out. It was the first time I saw this just, this divide in our relationship. Like, man, something is, is messed up. And so I, I went to my wife. I was like, man, she is really mad at me. The first time ever, like really mad. And I was telling my wife, I, just, I was just trying to talk to her and correct her on some things. <laughs> My wife said, you, you humiliated her. I was like, I pulled it to the side. I tried to do it discreetly so, you know, the people that we were with didn't know. And, and then I realized that I pulled her to the side of this wall so the people here couldn't see. But what I failed to realize is there was crowds of people on this side. And I had humiliated her in front of just all these people. And I had blown it. I mean, I had just truly messed up. And it wasn't the first time, and man, it's definitely not the last time. I've done that kind of thing again and again. What I realized is, man, there was this wall. And I just thought, well, you know, I started to run the same. Well, if, like, she wasn't doing this, like, I wouldn't know how to do that. And if it wasn't here, I wouldn't have been in public, right? You know, just kind of justifying my actions. And I realized, like, it doesn't matter. I hurt her. In fact, I crushed her. In her world right there, I crushed her. And the relationship was something that, like, the trust had been broken. I did something to her that was wrong. So I just, I had to approach her and I said, hey, hon, come here. And I walked to the situation. I said, you know what? I blew it. I humiliated you. And that was wrong. And as your dad, I, I should never do that. I should never use my power to put you in a position to be hurt like that. Will you forgive me? He just said, yeah, Dad, I forgive you. I was just embarrassed. And she just ran off, and it was like, it was back. It was back. And that wasn't me. That, that's what God does. As you do your part to make things right, the ice melts. The relationship is warmed up. You have people's heart again. That's what happens. When trust is broken, you no longer have the heart of the people you're relating to. But when trust is regained, you have the heart again. We always need to be working to the point where we're doing our part to gain the hearts of the people that we relate to. And it begins with love and faithfulness. So I encourage you, just think about your life and the different 
segments of the people that you're relating to, whether it's your family, parents, siblings, spouses, co-workers that you're relating to, friends, roommates, professors, bosses. Is there some things that's icy? Is there some trust that's been broken that God wants you to take some steps toward to begin to melt that trust through love and faithfulness? I just encourage you to to think about that. And as I wrap up, I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to receive our offering in just a moment. But on the back of your connection card, uh, you can take some next steps today. And these are just ways for you to take what you've heard and, and take a practical step of action. And so I encourage you to do that. You can memorize Proverbs 3. You can mark that on there. Uh, you can take the step that is, God has brought to mind to begin restoring trust. Or the, the third one there is, is blank. If there's just something that you sense you need to do, I encourage you today to take that step. Let's pray and then we're going to sing back to God and we're going to receive our offering. God, thank you for your goodness and for the model that you set for love and faithfulness. God, show us if there's anything in our relationships that we need to accept responsibility and ask forgiveness. Thank you that forgiveness begins with you first, that you've forgiven us and you don't hold anything against us as we repent and and change our road and turn to you. And so we ask God, That you'll just give us the strength to admit the things that we've done that are wrong. uh, The courage to follow through to make it right. And I pray for restoration. If there's any broken relationships here this morning, I pray, God, that you will restore them as only you can. In the name of the Lord Jesus.